Well, if you have your Bible and you're in Romans chapter 1 with me, first of all, just to say thank you to your pastor, Kevin, for the invitation to come today. It's a real joy to be here. I actually learned pastoral ministry in Texas as a student at A&M. I was a junior, began to pastor a little rural country church out near Caldwell and stayed there for uh, about 11 years. I was pastoring the mega church of Macedonia Hicks Baptist Church and uh, had all of about 22 members the first Sunday I was there. And uh, in fact, one lady, Kevin, voted for me to be the pastor because I had a good haircut. <laughs> I was in the Corps of Cadets at A&M and really didn't have a choice, but as far as she was concerned, I had a good haircut, I qualified. So that was the high bar I had to chin uh, to become the pastor of that church. But in that congregation, that rural congregation, God used that experience in my life in preparation uh, for his call to the mission field. And uh, after I graduated, I went to Southwestern Seminary and then did my doctoral work there. But uh, and after meeting my wife, who's a Baylor grad and went to uh, Africa as a journeyman herself for two years, uh, we met and married and then launched out to Africa uh, in about uh, 1986. And so we spent 20 years in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, starting off in a village out on the backside of the Kalahari Desert, where we uh, were doing leadership training, evangelism, planning churches uh, in a remote area of the country. I was responsible uh, for an area about the size of Texas, and there were no other Baptist missionaries there. So uh, it, was a big, it was a big responsibility. And I don't know how you feel about this, but I, I pray this morning that somehow the Lord would help me to communicate this sense of burden to your heart, that when you leave this place this morning, you would feel, you would feel the urgency of this burden. And that is this, the need for the lost to hear this good gospel that you know, probably many of you, most of your life, that you know that they would hear this good gospel at least once in their life. That on our planet today are people who absolutely have no way to hear this gospel. They're there is no witness present to deliver this message. They are lost. They are without hope. And the only hope that they have is that a people called Southern Baptists who came together as a convention and stated it was for this one sacred purpose we would cooperate together. And that was for the purpose of extending this good gospel to the ends of the earth. So we chose to lay aside minor differences. And my responsibility at the IMB currently is as the ambassador for the president. And basically just means I travel around overseas and uh, in, in our country of North America to talk about what God is doing in our world today and 
to report back to you how you're involved and what the need of the hour is. And in my travels around America, I can tell you, uh, we Southern Baptists are a very different people. From California to Washington, D.C., to Colorado, and yes, to Texas. We're very different people, but the thing that binds our hearts together uh, is this great clarion call to take the gospel to the nations. And so, this morning, my, my question to you is, so where is your post? Where is your post? Now, I don't, I don't think for a minute that uh, when I leave here, every one of you ought to sell everything you have and come go with me and let's send you to the nations. I, I don't think that. But I do believe every one of us in the room has a part to play. Every one of us has a part to play. Something that God wants us to do in relationship to this great call to carry the gospel to the nation. So I, I pray that you and those who will watch later will answer that question before the throne of God that you will go there and say, God, what can I do for you today? And that in your heart, here's the decision I hope you'll make today. Maybe you'll make it where you're sitting. Maybe at the invitation you'll make it at this altar just to come and kneel and pray. Maybe you'll share it with your pastor. Maybe you'll share it with a friend. But here's the decision that I, I pray you'll make. And that is this. God, if there's something I can do for you, whatever it is, before you even ask me, whatever it is, my answer is yes. My girls, I have three girls and a son. My girls would sometimes come to me and say, Dad, we want to talk to you. But we just want you to know before we have the conversation, we want the answer to be yes. <laughs> you ever had that uh, conversation with your children? And of course, I never would make that deal. I never made that deal till I heard the details. But this morning, that is exactly what I'm asking you to do. I am asking you to put your yes on the altar and, and to trust God with his leadership in your life, knowing that he knows everything. He knows you. He knows your experiences. He knows your training. He knows your background. He knows your resources. He knows the circumstances of your life. He knows everything there is to know about you. And what I've discovered in my life is that God has never taken me anywhere in my life that he couldn't keep me. And he's never taken me anywhere in my life and asked me to do something that he didn't enable me to do. He doesn't work like that. So my encouragement to you as you think about that decision is, is to absolutely encourage you to trust him, but to lay that yes on the altar and then just see what he does with it. Now here in Romans chapter 1, if you're there, I'd like to begin in verse 14 and following. And this is what the text says. I am a debtor both to the Greeks, to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you also who are at Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, 
For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. When we arrived in the country of Botswana and in our village of Maun, it was a desert environment, so the climate was extremely hot and dry. And the nearest paved road was about 200 miles away from where we lived. And so we were in an isolated location, and the response to the gospel was very tepid. I would go out and uh, share the gospel. People were polite and uh, they would give us the opportunity to talk to them about our belief, but they were not ready to receive it. They were not ready to accept it. And so I found myself becoming more and more discouraged. In summertime, the temperatures would be up around 117, and we were living in this concrete blockhouse with a tin roof. We didn't have any insulation, and it was like living in an oven, you know, and uh, that heat would just drain my energy. Uh, my brother, I have two brothers who are on the mission field. One was working in West Africa uh, in the tropics. And so when I would be whining to him about it, you know, David would say, yeah, but Gordon, you know, that's dry heat. <laughs> you know, those, those people in the tropics, they're so proud of their humidity, aren't they? And I'd tell my brother, I said, have you ever heard of spontaneous combustion? I said, that's what happens in dry heat. One guy told me one time about the two turkey breasts headed into the oven at Thanksgiving, and one looked at the other and said, don't worry, it's just dry heat. So, that, you know, the thing about, about it, it just bakes you, you know, and, and at nighttime, once those concrete block walls got hot, it radiated that heat into the house, and it was just, it just drained us. And I remember thinking to myself, is this it? You know, is this all I can hope for in my missionary a calling is to live in this place with this minimal response, share the gospel, and is this all, the, is this all I'm going to see? And um, I got to thinking to myself about the Apostle Paul and wondering about, about his missionary career, and I, and I read something about him. And listen, listen to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's describing... Uh, his experience as a missionary. And he's kind of defending his, his, uh, his missionary apostleship. In verse 23, he says, Are these people servants of Christ? I speak as if I'm insane. I more so. And then listen to what he says. I've been in more labors. I've been in far more imprisonments. I've been beaten times without number. Often I've been in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been in frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen. Dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers amongst false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Does that sound like he was having a good time? <laughs> you know, when I read that, I got to looking at my life and I was thinking, Ford, you don't have anything to whine about, son. Look at what he went through. But yet, he continued to press forward in his missionary calling. In other words, 
He never turned back. He never paused and said, I quit, I give up, I've had enough, I didn't sign up for this. Nobody told me the Christian life was going to be as hard as this is. No one told me that the missionary calling would be difficult, so I'm just going home. He never did that. So my question as I read that was, in my context, thinking about where I was, how did he stay motivated on mission? How did he, how did he keep going? when things were so difficult? How was he able to press forward, even when he knew what he might encounter that day? And you see there, in verse 14, he gives you a little window into the answer to that question. Because what he says is, I have a debt to pay. He said, I'm a debtor. I have an obligation. In other words, he's saying to us from the scripture today, I owe something. I owe something. And this debt which I owe, I I have no choice but to pay my debt, whatever it costs me. Now, why am I emphasizing this? Because my question, I guess, is, Why isn't it up to us to decide who gets the gospel and who doesn't? Why isn't that our decision? In other words, why isn't it enough for you to say here this morning, well, Gordon, I'm glad that someone like you is is working on getting the gospel to these places like the Sukutran off the coast of Yemen or the Agul and the Caucasus Mountains who never have had a missionary witness, that you're glad that someone like me is concerned about that, but really, you got enough on your plate right here in Georgetown to deal with, and so thank you, you you go right ahead and do that. Why isn't it up to us to make the decision who gets the gospel and who doesn't? That we set the criteria. That, in other words, I had a friend at, at, uh, in Caldwell, you say, he said, Brother Gordon, I will go anywhere in the world as long as I can be back at Burleson County by sundown. <laughs> I mean, he put a cattle guard on the Great Commission, right? He said, for the sake of the gospel, I'll go this far, but I'm not going any further. Now, why don't we get to do that? Why would I urge you to lay your yes on the altar? about what God might want to do with your life and mission. Because we have an obligation. You see, brothers and sisters, God didn't owe you the gospel. When God looked out of heaven and saw you wherever you were when you first believed, did you think that on that day when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Was this the uppermost thing in your mind? Well, God, you sure are lucky to have me on your team. Was that what you thought? (laughs) Or is there anyone in here whose testimony would be a little bit different? That you you can identify with the words of that hymn. I was sinking deep in sin. Far from the peaceful shore, 
very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. You were on the slippery road headed straight to hell. You were living in rebellion against holy God. You were involved in things in your life that if God hadn't have saved you, certainly you would not have been here today, but chances are you would have been in prison or dead, and you would have destroyed your reputation. You would have wrecked every person who ever loved you. You would have wounded the hearts of your mom and dad who prayed for you if you had stayed on that road. But God, in his mercy and grace, he saw you. And the master of the sea, he heard my despairing cry. And from the waters, he lifted me. And now safe am I. Anyone with that testimony who would say, Brother Gordon, boy, if you knew me and where I was when Jesus saved me, man, I am a trophy of the grace of God. Well, friends, if that's true, then with the Apostle Paul... We have a debt to pay. We have an obligation. We have a debt to those who have never heard this message. We have an obligation to those who are still waiting to have their opportunity to hear that there is a gospel that includes Jesus Christ dying on the cross for them so that their sins could be broken, the shackles broken, and they could walk in forgiveness today with the Spirit of God filling their life. We have a debt to pay. I was um, in the northeast part of our country of Botswana walking uh, out in a, an area where there was a tribe called the Kalanga people. Uh, I'd met a friend of mine who was a layman from this tribe, and uh, he had become a believer when he went for his schooling. And he, and he told me one time, he said, Pastor, the tribe I live in has never had a missionary. We've never had the gospel. No one's ever brought it to us. He said, would you go with me sometime back to my tribe and, and help me share the gospel with my people? So I had agreed. We were camping out in the forest. We were headed in to see the Paramount Chief. And uh, as we were walking through the woods, about 30 yards off the road, there was a little cutout in the woods where they had made a little place to put a cow pen to milk their, their cows. And uh, there was a lady sitting in the cow pen uh, milking a cow, and she was on the off side of the cow and when I looked over, I caught her glance under the belly of this cow. And I remember feeling this as I looked over and caught her glance, feeling a tug in my heart. And I said to Benjamin, hey, Benjamin, look, there's a lady over there in the woods milking that cow. Why don't we go share the gospel with her as we're on our way to see the chief? And Benjamin said, Pastor, look, you know, we're two strangers out here. Obviously, I wasn't from there. And uh, she, he said, uh, you know, She's going to be afraid. Maybe I'm just embarrassed. We're two men alone out here. Plus, you know, she's probably just a peasant woman from the village up here. She'll be embarrassed. Why don't we go see the chief first? So I agreed, and we walked a little further. And I, I remember glancing back one more time, and she was still watching us from under the belly of the cow. I remember feeling this tug in my heart again. And I stopped Benjamin. I said, Benjamin, I just feel like we need to talk with her, share with her. And again, he says, Pastor, you know, you don't be so embarrassed. Probably just a peasant woman from the village up here. But you know, if you want to, we'll try. So we'll look, call out a greeting in her language of Kalanga, and then she'll know you're from here. Maybe she'll relax and we can talk to her. So we turn aside. She stands up 
and he calls out a greeting in Kalanga. As we get to the edge of the pen, she's standing inside the pen. I said, Benjamin, ask her if I could just share my story with her, my testimony. So he talks for a minute, and she agrees. So she comes up from behind the couch, she's standing on the inside of this pen, and I just begin to share the very simple truth of the gospel. And friends, isn't it, isn't it great that the gospel is not complicated? It's not complicated. Now, it's profound, but not complicated. The essence of the gospel is that God created every human being on this planet. And in creating us, he had a standard by which we would best live. But in the hearts of every human being is rebellion against holy God. And we just refuse to live according to his standard. And he gave us a conscience to warn us when we break his standard. And every human being has fallen short of God's standard. Something separates us from holy God. And the Bible calls that our sin. And we couldn't fix it ourselves. And so we needed a savior. We needed someone to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. And God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross as a spotless lamb, as the sacrifice that would be acceptable to him, that he could punish for my sin. And in Jesus Christ, I can be forgiven. As I'm sharing that gospel, I'm watching this lady, and the Spirit of God begins just to press into her heart. When I got there, I said, Benjamin, ask her if today she'd like to put her faith and trust in Jesus. And so Benjamin talks to her a minute, she agrees, and he leads her in prayer as this Kalanga woman, as far as we know, becomes amongst the first of the Kalangas to come to faith in Jesus Christ. When she says, Amen, she turns from looking at Benjamin and she looks at me and she begins to speak to me in fluent English. <laughs> Honestly, friends, I thought, it's a miracle. I mean, I. You know, us missionaries, you know, we missionaries, we're just always looking for things like that. You know, I said, wow, it's a miracle. She's speaking English. And, you know, she, but she goes on to say, she says, I know you don't know who I am. She said, but I have a master's degree from the University of Oklahoma. <laughs> she, said, I, she said, I'm the chief instructor at the teacher's training college in the capital city. And she said, I just happened to come home to our village this weekend, and I was helping my family with the chores. And then she made this statement. She said, when I looked at you under the belly of the cow, I said to myself, if what those men have to say is so important that they would turn aside to come and share it with me, it must be the truth. And she said, I knew you thought I was just an ignorant peasant woman. So friends, that lady became a leading worker in our Baptist work in Botswana. But why do I tell the story? Because I want to answer that question again. Why isn't it up to us to decide who gets the gospel and who doesn't? Because you see, that's not how God treated me. I owe my witness. I have an obligation. I have a debt. The gospel didn't originate in Georgetown, Texas. 
Somebody brought it here. And I would say to you, don't let the gospel stop here. Let the gospel flow through you to the next place. We have an obligation. You know, for me, that would be enough of a motivation, enough of a reason to answer that question, Lord, uh, why should I put my yes on the altar and why should I, why should I present myself to you and, and, and say to you, if there's something I can do for you, just let me know and my yes is there. Why should I do that? Because friends, what I love about this text is in the next verse, Paul shows something about himself that really, that really gets me enthusiastic because in the next verse, Paul not only says, I have this weight on my shoulders, I have this obligation, but in verse 15, he says, but I, I am so ready. He says, everything that is within me is ready to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome also. In other words, he's saying, I am all in. He says, I'm all in. I've got no reserves. I'm all in. And I wonder sometimes, does that describe your heart today? Are you all in for the sake of the gospel? Or are you a bench sitter? You spectator. Do you come and say, well, you know, what's in it for me? What, what, how's this going to benefit me and my family? And then I decide whether or not I'll get involved in it. We, we kind of, we hold the right of veto. Do you understand what, I'm, what I mean? That we kind of reserve, we reserve the right to say, ah, yes or no. Or, are you really all in for the sake of the gospel? I understand this. I have people who will come to me after a service and say, Brother Gordon, wherever it is I am, let's just take Georgetown today. Brother Gordon, I'm glad you're, you know, you're calling out missionaries, but you know, we need the gospel right here in Georgetown. You know, we got lost people right here. And I, I fully agree with that. But they're saying it as a as an excuse of why they shouldn't care about the person in the next city or the next uh, state or the rest of the world. And you know what I found? The very person who tells me that is not doing anything to reach the people in Georgetown. Is this an excuse? If you were really doing that, oh, listen, Pastor Kevin, I'd say, great, man, this guy is so involved in communicating the gospel here in this neighborhood. Don't take him out of here. But what I have found too often is that we're just making excuses for why we're not doing what we know we ought to do. You know what an excuse is? It's a reason stretched over a lie. We, we, cannot, we cannot fool God. You're not dealing with Gordon Ford. When I say to lay your yes on the altar, you're not, you're not talking to me about this. You're talking to God about this. This is his business. And friends, he created us, made us, 
knows everything about us. And this is not boring to follow his plan. Some of us are running from the will of God that if you were to surrender to it, you would find is the most exciting thing you could ever do with your life. I would not change anything about my uh, Christian pilgrimage. When I think of the years we spent in the desert and the years we spent in Zimbabwe and the years I've spent serving God, there's nothing I would change about this service because I have found that this is the most exciting thing to do with my life. It gives focus and purpose and I know it, it gives us the privilege of living for eternity knowing that you're making an, an investment forward. You're paying it forward into eternity to, to be all in for the sake of the gospel. And friends, this is an urgent day in the kingdom. There's things that God is doing in the world today that are unlike anything else in Christian history. Amongst the Han Chinese, on average, 30,000 come to faith every day. We've been working with the three largest house church movements in China to help them recruit and train and send out missionaries. And those three house church networks, all of them are larger than the Southern Baptist Convention. They all have more than 17 million members. It's amazing what God is doing. I was in the country of India, went up to the Bhojpuri people, a Hindu a background people. And there's a movement of people coming to faith there that is now over a million followers of Christ. The country of Bangladesh, southern Bengalis who are basically a Muslim belief system. In that, in that area, there's a group of baptized believers that is now approaching 600,000. It is incredible what God is doing in his world today. I was in Germany speaking to a group of pastors there who had come at reunification of Germany out of Russia. But when they came out of Russia, they have this evangelical belief. They are, they are firmly grounded and enthusiastic about their faith. And six years ago, I first went, and there were about 700 of these pastors, and they asked me to come and address them on the topic of the, the pastor and his responsibility to the Great Commission. Last year, that group had grown to over 1,300. Germans, pastors, with a heart for the nations. I was in Brazil speaking to the Brazilian Foreign Mission Board. They have over 600 missionaries scattered around the world, over 500 in their own country of Brazil. God moving in unprecedented ways. Little nation island of Palau sent a delegation to Chiang Mai, Thailand, where we were having a meeting to say, we on the island of Palau, we want to be involved in the Great Commission. Help us become engaged in the Great Commission. Friends, God is stirring something in the world that is unlike anything else in Christian history. I met with about 120 uh, people involved in Jewish evangelism uh, in Israel, and we met in Sweden. And in, in that mountain retreat, I started hearing their testimonies of Jewish people coming to faith in Christ. Some had come out of New York City. And I am convinced there are more people from the Jewish nation coming to faith today than any time in Christian history except post-Pentecost. God is stirring something in the world today. You don't want to be asleep. Are you all in? You know why you can be all in? for? Because in conclusion... Look at what he said. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 
Friends, the, the gospel that we have is a powerful gospel. It, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The message that God, if you are a follower of Christ, the message that God has entrusted to you, this word, this is a powerful word. It's the only hope that lost people have is that one day somebody would deliver this good gospel to them. I was out in the Kalahari Desert in the village, came to a hut, knocked on the door, a lady invited us to come in. I went in and sat down on the floor next to her, and in the middle of the hut there was this uh, cotton blanket pulled up to the chin of an elderly woman laying on a little bamboo mat. Her eyes were sunken in the back of her head, her breathing was very shallow, face was pale. And I began to speak to the lady next to me who was her daughter. And I said, um, her name was Kansi. who is this? She said, that's my mom. I said, how old is she? She said, about 86, which is elderly for the Kalahari, for a person who's lived out in the desert that long. I said, Kansi, in the lifetime of your mother, has anyone ever come to your village and shared about how you can be saved? Has anyone ever shared the gospel with your village? She said, no. Her mother was in a semi-comatose condition, about to enter into eternity. And I had this knot in my chest, thinking about this lady about to die. And in her whole lifetime, she had never even heard his name. So I said to this woman, Kenzie, God has sent me to your village with a message. I want to share with you how much God loves you. But he loved you so much, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to take away your sin. If you had put your faith and trust in him, you could be born again into his family. And as I was talking in Setswana, this hand comes out from underneath the blanket, and this lady begins to call out, Keautua, Keautua, I hear you, I hear you. I, had, I remember I had goosebumps on my arms because I knew I had been put in that hut for a divine appointment. No doubt. I went and knelt down by this elderly woman's bedside. At the sound of my voice, her eyes opened. She was perfectly aware. And I shared the very simple truth of the gospel with this 86-year-old woman, hearing it for the first time in her life. When I got through, I asked her, would you like to receive this gift of salvation that God is offering you today, that your sins could be forgiven? And she said, oh, yes. Oh, yes. I led this woman in prayer. She invited Jesus Christ to become the Lord of her life. I watched as the transformation took place on her countenance, that wrinkled face just smoothing out in a look of peace, a little grin on the corner of her mouth. She closed her eyes, and she died three and a half hours later. Why was she lost? She was lost because no one had ever brought this gospel to her. Never forget leaving that hut that day, thinking to myself, Father, 
we have an obligation. We have a debt to pay. This is a good gospel. Doesn't need to be defended. Doesn't need to be, uh, you know, excused. It just needs to be proclaimed. Oh God, would you raise up a force of people who would put their yes on the altar and let you decide what to do with their life. Maybe that's you today.